Hey there, we're Those Sci-Fi Guys, and this is that Those Sci-Fi Guys show. Just two working dudes, way different jobs, different lives, but a whole lot of love for science fiction and the fun that comes with. We are your hosts. I am P.S. McKay, nursing a massive hangover from the last show. I overindulged. I don't know. I, I am D.T. Cavman, and I question your liver. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, DT, how are things going on your end? Been a couple days. Uh, it has been. Uh, things are fine, you know. Working, catching up a little bit with family. Do you have any plans for the Easter weekend? Uh, yes, going to see my folks, uh, my uh, sister, and uh, we'll uh, inevitably have a uh video chat with my uh better half and little one mm. until we can get them out here once school finishes on this ever long year it feels like a long year doesn't it just kind of crawling and beyond yeah um but, yeah i do get a long weekend because it is that ever unique and always legendary New England holiday. <laughs> Good Friday? Well, that, that is true tomorrow. But uh, no, Patriots. Oh, Patriots Day. Yeah. On Monday. Where we salute all those wicked, tough bastards who got up from a night of drinking to go shoot shit at the British from the woods. Couple of dudes got whacked standing in the middle of the green, but then they said, "Eh, I think this bridge is better." So, <laughs> to all of our English friends, uh, sorry, but not sorry. Sorry, but and not to all sorry. all those ballsy fucking mass holes who decided to put down Sam Adams' homebrew and take shots at the mightiest empire at the time. I salute you, Slancha, yeah. you bastards. Particularly Massachusetts, we celebrate Patriots Day by two special events. One, and the most famous of which, is the annual running of the Boston Marathon. One of the most storied sporting events in the it's country. One of the older ones? It is one of the oldest uh, yeah. Continuously run marathons in the country. I've had many friends who have run it. I have one of my uh, best friends from college running this weekend, so I tip my hat to him. Did it run and, last year? I'm trying to remember. Last or year, or maybe I was, they pushed it back. Yeah, it's been funky the last two years, but normally it runs every year. Right. And. At 11 o'clock at Fenway Park, the Sox always play. <laughs> Why? Because the ending of the marathon is uh, not that far from Fenway. So no, a lot of times not. you'll have people walking out of the game and walking right down a couple blocks over to where the finish line is to see, like, the back half of the race is coming. Mm -hmm. In many years past, there's been spouses and family members of Red Sox players out there running and some of the players have gone and like after the game just stood on the sidelines and watched the marathon 
my dad's office used to be right three three floors above the marathon finish line. Mm. <clears throat> so you know, I've 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 gone to the marathon in, in many when I was young, many years ago. Yeah. Uh, I am not. I already drive towards Boston every day. I, I, my, you know, my friends, I love you all, but uh, I'm not doing it on my day off. Sorry. No. Not this time. No. That being said, good luck to all the runners. Go Sox. And, uh, yeah. Fuck yeah. (laughs) There we are. (laughs) Classic New England. Classic DT. Definitely classic. And, of course, I mean... How fucking nuts is it to run 26 miles on your day off? I have heard people, first of all, it's very nuts. But I've heard people, there are some people in this world that run 20 miles a day. That's not me, man. I had to run for a living at times. And, you know, I could do three, five miles, not much of a problem back before the injuries and COVID got a hold of me. Yeah. just, Just by the way. After that severe case of COVID, every ache and pain I ever had has been substantially worse. Ugh. Like oh, the yeah. in- inflammatory pain? Inflammatory pain, crippling emotional pain. Well, we're oh, not here to discuss your emotions here, DT. Who says but I, I am interested in your bastard. joint pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my joint pain definitely felt worse afterwards. I mean, I think that was... Part of the issue with the long being a long hauler is all the things you know that dialed it up a little bit after I was that sick. So you caught it in June of 2020, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, that that was still that was still very early. Like we yeah. didn't really know how to treat it that that well. <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, what can I say? I got it on the ground floor. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You, t- you fought that battle, so we didn't have to. So I've been doing that for 20 years. <laughs> I donated a good amount of blood and plasma for research, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Besides which, I was in a military hospital. They fucking owned my DNA anytime it left me. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. That's true. You know, I recently just found out my blood type. I had to wear it around my neck for 20 years. Yeah. Are you allowed to share what it is? Are we supposed to? Sh- oh, can we share? Is that the privacy no, thing? I think we should just not. No offense, folks. But <laughs> I don't is know. Is, is it, is it uh, like we the, should the... be able to choose to donate it when when we need? I think <laughs> I think you should keep your blood type to yourself. Is that like is that like your 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 pin number? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it feels like. It feels like it is nowadays for some reason. Well, it's something that is protected by like HIPAA laws and stuff. So why throw it out there? I don't know. Well, it's like can... sh- it's like sharing your policy number for your vehicle. I mean, that's why a private number, but that? it's not. So I don't look. Know. If if you want your blood taken by vampires, then by all means. But they're not going to get mine without a fight. Well, mine's C negative, so. You are very negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. 
Um, Good springboard to this today's topic, since you're so negative. <laughs> well, you did tell me that I could be as crouchy about this subject as possible. Crouchy? Crouchy. Did I say crouchy? Yes, you did. What are you getting um, at? I, I was literally my knees are bad. I'm sure your knees aren't good either. So I, <laughs> I'm sure crouching isn't in either one of us. No. Uh, let's see. I was just literally looking at the word grouchy and weird that it came out that way. You were probably anyway, thinking like cranky or something. Something like that. It probably was that. So yeah. what, what's the topic you wanted to discuss today? Well, you know, it, Things that we've discussed as of late where your vitriol has come out has been when we've discussed Discovery, Picard, some of the newer Star Trek. And, you know, there's been, a, you know, a big turn, especially with reimagining of TV shows and movies to go a darker, grittier tone. I mean, even the French Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's reboot is a fucking um, drama drama. I mean, where I hear Carlton's a real asshole. Well, he kind of was in the first place. He was just funnier. Well, he, he was he was a laughable asshole in the in the show in the right. sitcom. But you know what we really need though? Asshole. What we need is a dance off between Carlton and Zemo. Mm. I'd pay for that. I would pay for that. Yeah, that would be definitely. <laughs> I think that would definitely be uh, like. You know, premium on Disney Plus or something. <laughs> he's out of line, but he's right. So, <laughs> hey, you know what? In this version, that Carlton would be slapped by Will Smith. Boom. This is true. This is true. Oh God. <laughs> well, anyway, so we didn't even get to the topic yet. So, what's what's top of your mind? Well, is newer sci-fi more darker, grittier? Is it, and is, does that come at expense of the message, or are we just so myopic and so nostalgia-bound that we didn't see it for what it was at the time? Is it more ham-fisted now? Is it less subtle? Are these TV shows more subtle and gross, to quote Q? <laughs> Okay. I, I Continue, please. I mean, but I think that's where we're going. You either go, you know, particularly when you see, like, reboots, they either go turning, like, something that should be serious into a comedy or something that was light and happy into something dark and gritty. Because, I mean, despite the subject matter, the original Battlestar Galactica was kind of cheesy. Yes. At times. Now, of course, you know, humans being hunted to extinction by a killer robot, you know, even in the late 70s, early 80s, that's fairly dark subject matter. But, I mean, the new Battlestar Galactica went balls to the wall. Oh, my God. And it it kind of went, it was like a little bit of proto-Game of Thrones. I think it kind of got a little bit of influence from the Sopranos, the darker tones, the... You know, the violence, the made-up swearing. <laughs> made-up swearing was the best part. Kudos to getting around the censors. Yeah, frack this. Well, when they the started only... dropping things like mother fracker and don't frack with me, it was like... Yeah, go frack yourself. Oh, yeah, it was... Uh, <laughs> it, 
basically that was a, just a giant little finger to the, F- to the FCC. Mm-hmm. There's only one person who can get away with dropping an F-bomb on live TV and not get fined by the FCC. Big poppy. <laughs> Although technically it wasn't the FCC's jurisdiction, but that's okay. Fuck him. <laughs> that's exactly what he said. <laughs> By the way, Family Guy had a great FCC song from like season four or whatever. Oh, I'll have to double check that. That's been when a Peter, while. When everything got so censored that Peter started his own TV channel. PTV? Yes, PTV. Oh my god. That was that's a callback, man. Oh, it was it was a pretty damn funny show. It's oh, actually yeah. it's actually one of the um my darling bride, who, you know, is a huge Simpsons fan, but really, you know, she didn't mind some of the early seasons of Family Guy, but later on it just got out of control for her as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's like, that's a really good satire. Because she's she very much appreciates satire. Hence her mm-hmm. love of Mel Brooks, The Simpsons, Futurama. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I mean... Anytime you reboot, it's it's hard. It, 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 even if it's not a reboot, I mean, look yeah, we're at, not talking even about reboots. We're just talking. But, it, but still, I mean, even the reboot sci-fi TV shows are they tend to take a little bit of a darker tone. If you go ahead and remove Lower Decks from that equation, where mm. it's like, okay, it it went completely the opposite direction. Um, <laughs> well, well, you know. <laughs> It went the direction of full-on peacocking. Right, but the best part about Lower Decks is that they did start digging in those kernels of decent Trek storytelling. It was. It took a couple episodes in season one to really dig into it, and you saw a little bit more in season two of, you know, a little bit of exploration. Like it, Mariner's, uh, what was it, the penultimate episode where she's fighting herself. and. Yep. That was good sci-fi right there. Mm, that's good satire. It was a good character dive, and it was good. Sci- uh, it was a good sci-fi. It was well done. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish there was more of that in Star Trek. By the Just... way, at Star Trek Day last week, some of the cast of Lower Decks came out in person, in uniform. Oh, cool. Jack Jerry Quaid, O'Connell? Jack, yeah, Jerry O'Connell, Tawny Newsom, uh, uh, Jack Quaid, Tawny Newsom, Jerry O'Connell, and I'm um, drawing a blank on who plays Tendy. She didn't paint herself green, but Jack Quaid comes in wearing purple hair and went to Star Trek Mission Chicago, and it was really popular, so... I, I saw the pictures and a couple of video clips. It was pretty funny. Interesting. Oh, and, and one other thing before we dive into it. I, I, I had failed to mention it on our last episode, but we lost yet another comedy legend. We want to talk about Gritty. Mm. We lost the bizarre and filthy and hysterical Gilbert Gottfried. Who, yes. for people of a certain age, might have been known as a bird of one sort or another. Mm-hmm. Either Iago from uh, Aladdin or the Aflac duck. But if you've <laughs> ever seen him on a roast, 
telling the oh, filthy, merciless, like stuff that even Bob Saget wouldn't say. No. Which, and a picture was just posted. Um, I think it was you know, by mutual friends, but it was a picture of Bob Saget, Gilbert Godfrey, Norm Macdonald, and Jeff Ross. And I first thought was, wow, that's a great picture. Second thought is, Jeff Ross must be sweating his fucking boots right now. Because <laughs> all these guys have died in the last nine months. He, he must be he he must be making an appointment with his internist pretty quickly. Oh, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> he got kind of chunky, too. So he's probably working out with a personal trainer right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the next thought was, I'm sure he's going to make a hilariously inappropriate comment about all, that picture. <laughs> but Gilbert, oh my God! If you ever saw any of the roasts he was on, I mean the yelling and the oh the worst things ever possible coming out of a human's mouth, he made it laugh. He made you laugh. I have some mundane, a couple mundane memories of him that mean a lot to me. Did you meet the him? First one, no. Um, but the first one was. Uh, uh, I saw Problem Child, both one and two. And <laughs> he was he such figured, a bastard in that, too. He figured prominently in those movies. And yeah. he was so great. In a later interview, he, you know, it was brought up that the Beach Boys sang the theme song to the Problem Child movie. And everyone was like, wait a minute, the Beach Boys sang it? And then Gilbert Gottfried, who was being interviewed in that interview... Just start. He belted out the entire song from memory. But it, it, <laughs> this was this was not long ago. This was maybe three years ago, four years ago. Like just belted out the whole damn thing. And then uh, number two. By the way, it's a good it's a good Beach Boys song. It doesn't get its due. Um, and the my fact second that memory. The Beach Boys did the theme song to Problem Child is strange in and of itself. I know that's the cocaine in the eighties, man. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, then the second one was he was he guest starred in an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Classic, classic. Are you afraid? Oh, of the, dark. the old Nickelodeon show. Yeah, yeah. and well, he, he is kind of creepy. <laughs> he brought he brought the comedy to it. Like that that was the only time I ever actually laughed during that show. Oh, you know why? Because he used to do the USA Up All Night. Where he would like, he was the host of USA's Up All Night for a time, where he was doing like all these B and C movie horror and action movies. Yeah, I think yeah. he probably did They Live or something at one point. Oh yeah, probably, uh, and that I'm was sure actually that, a recent release back back then. Yeah, so I'm, <laughs> it, probably, it probably isn't surprising that he was on Are You Afraid of the Dark if he was doing that. So cool. I mean, of course, he guest starred in a lot of things. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, uh, he apparently is, you know, was very well loved in the co comedy community. And everybody who's ever met him said he was the nicest guy in the world. You'd say the worst things ever, but the nicest guy in the world. Um, he did, I guess there's a, so I guess Netflix or somebody did a documentary on him about two or three years ago, which I, I should watch because I've really enjoyed these documentaries about some of these icons. I watched the Rickles one um, a couple of months ago, and that was like done like 15 years ago, like like seven eight years before he even died. And jeez, 
you get some of these things and you realize, man, just how talented some of these guys really were or how multifaceted and stuff. And yeah, so hats off to Gilbert. Seth MacFarlane quoted, called him in a roast, America's creepy uncle. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so America's def- creepy uncle. Definitely a guy who you just, he was in the, I mean, you knew who he was. You heard his voice. I mean, you're like, oh my God. Oh, his podcast that he, that they would run on uh, Sirius XM Comedy Classic Station where he'd interview a whole bunch of other uh, comedians and actors and stuff was actually really good. And he, he usually wasn't in his screaming voice. It was his more normal voice, which it's, it's a little disconcerting at times when he's not screaming at you in that ridiculous <laughs> voice of his. I can only imagine the, 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 the amount of like, you know, throat treatments he would go through after this. Oh my God. Anyway, no. sorry we broke topic, but usually when we lead in, we kind of do tip of the hats to uh, fallen icons and people who who we've enjoyed. Um, so yes, when talking about some of the worst things in the world, um, Gilbert said them, and at times I think we've watched them. So, do you know the joke that got him fired from uh, Aflac? It was it was like a Hitler joke, wasn't it? Oh no, no, no! It was a joke that invoked. Uh, it happened. He he made a joke referencing the um, Japanese tsunami in two thousand eleven. Oh, right, right, right. And I can't even say it because I'm not a comedian. So if I say it, I, I'm going to be like. You'll just come off sounding racist. I get it. Well, it's not even a racist joke. I mean, it's just, it was just in poor taste. Like, <laughs> that's what he did. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. what he did. That's exactly it. That, and that's what got him, that's what did him in. And and everyone still loved him. I mean, that's the thing. It was a false, it was false outrage for one. But. Well, I mean, the the comedian community just wrapped around him you know and i mean he was still going to roasts. he was doing i mean okay so he wasn't an annoying duck anymore whatever fine he he still killed it apparently he was just somebody who would just walk into a comedy club and like i'm gonna do a set and they're like fuck yeah and they're like, I'm gonna <laughs> do a set and he'd kill he was yep. guys that other comedians would bring up on stage and say this is you know and just let him go off and die on the sidelines you know Needless to say, folks, uh, we, some of our comedy icons have, have died. It's been rough. And if you count Betty White in this, you know, grouping, even though she was I would say she, she wasn't with, a stand-up, but she no. had comedic timing. Oh, her, her comedic chops were, were impeccable. So the, the world of comedy took, has taken a beating in the last six months with some really... <laughs> Well, Betty White, of course, was a legend, but the other three were extremely unique uh, in their comedic approaches, diverse too. So I would say the worst year for losing comedians since 2014. Well, even just losing Robin was was 
The worst. Oh, horror. I still get depressed thinking about that. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I miss I... him. I, I mean, there's a genuine longing to see him again. Especially when you hear all the stories about just how wonderful of a person he was. Yeah. But, yeah. but of course, he was in everybody's living room, whether you were watching Aladdin with Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Or you were watching Goodwill Hunting, or you were watching Mork and Mindy, or his Mrs. Doubtfire. Or when he would do USO shows. Mm-hmm. You know, or even like things like One Hour Photo and, uh, you know, uh, some of these. Insomnia. Would do. Insomnia. That's that's what I was searching for. Yeah. I mean, he, he even did a guest spot on Whose Line Is It Anyway? He did. That was it was hilarious. I mean, oh it was God. so out of left field. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, and, you know, usually it's like, oh, well, somebody else from Drew Carey's TV shows are showing up or, you know, mm-hmm. a comedian. No, not legend robin williams just walking on stage you know the comedian yeah (laughs) yeah i mean anyway we're getting off topic although yes we are again you can get folks you can tell we have a great love for comedy on this show um which is why things like briscoe which has sci-fi and comedy or futurama or lower deck anything marvel almost anything marvel yeah right so, Marvel has a tendency to be, even in its darker shows, still shows and movies still have. I like Civil War was was a pretty That's tough a dark movie. movie. It is. There's a lot of darkness in there. Ah, Tony Stark saying, "I don't care. He killed my mom." Oh, that was rough. Ugh. But then, Just... like three minutes before, he's calling Bucky Manchurian candidate. I was right. the only one in the theater who laughed at that joke. Oh, me too. <laughs> I was the only one too. It was a great joke. It was a yeah. great joke. It was about a. It's about a brainwashed soldier. <laughs> it was a great joke. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, of course, and you're expecting for Tony to do it, and of course, you have you know like scenes in Infinity War where like Quill's like, "That's a good plan, except it sucks." And so <laughs> I got a completely different one. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> Mr. Lord. Uh, and yeah. he was right. <laughs> oh, we're, making, we're using our made-up names. Uh, then I'm Spider-Man. Hilarious yep. moment. You know? Mm-hmm. All it the, almost gets to the point. I mean, Seth Rogen talks quit. about it. He, he He's complaining that there's so much comedy in those other movies now. Like, what makes... It's hard to write a real comedy. Like, a, a genre comedy. Who, 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 brought, who asked that Seth question? Rogen. Oh, well, you know how Seth does it. He gets high and just writes that down. That's what Seth I what does. it must be like. To just... be rich, famous, and be able to smoke weed all the time. Yeah. Anywhere. Uh, it must be, <laughs> At all times. It must be terrible. It must be fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, Where it's your job to get high and, and to create based off of that angle. Yeah. My God. Well... <clears throat> Yes, uh, but I mean DC not generally that funny. The movies, anyway. The the TV shows are, are better at it. Some are better than others, but you know. Um, but when you get down to it, like the sci-fi, like Discovery is not that funny. They try. 
It's like, this is the power of math, people. Or I like science. No, 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 no. Uh, fucking Matt Damon did it better in The Martian. I'm going to science <laughs> I'm gonna the science shit out of this. Shit out of this. Mars will so hear my botany powers. Why? So I blew myself ridiculous. up. <laughs> so, I mean, I it, it, and this kind of brings us into it. I don't think Discovery is a bad show. In fact, at times, it, I think it can be a good show. I worry that my own nostalgia glasses is keeping me from loving it the way I love Deep Space Nine, which got very dark at times. Even Voyager, you know, like with Year of Hell and yep. some of the sidelines, you know, before they repeatedly nerfed the Borg all the time. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, in the next gen wasn't shy away. Like, Schisms is a pretty fucked up episode. Frame of Mind. Mm-hmm. Frame of Mind gave me nightmares. Like, well, there was nothing more terrifying than be them being stuck in a reality that might not be real and you knew it well it was like star trek doing the matrix almost yeah yeah and at times they did these things very well i mean wolf in the fold was like a mystery in the original series Mm -hmm. murder mystery and really for a good chunk of the episode everything looked like scotty was murdering people so i mean you have the like uh, the conscience of the king, which I wouldn't. There was some deep psychosis in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay, but you have almost a claustrophobic type feel that submarine warfare of the balance of terror. Yes. So, but. Okay, so I think I think what we need to do, just like step back just a minute. Now, the question is, is there still good sci-fi that's written out there? And I unequivocally say yes, there is. Agreed. There is The Expanse, which I, I've only heard is really good, but it's universally yeah. acclaimed. Like, there's no... I, I've heard that too, and I, it, I have no aversion to watching it. I just haven't and right at you know when it was coming out i think it was maybe when i was deployed at one point and right it's something that i feel i should get into because i've heard nothing but good things about it and obviously maybe maybe we need to force ourselves to do it and we could do a podcast on it an episode on it we're gonna oh yeah well we'll we'll have to figure out a time for that (laughs) episode 152 i'm not i'm not opposed to it but i would you know, I don't want to go in there as undermanned as I was even with Stargate, you know? Right. Well, I mean, no, I didn't feel like you detracted from that episode. No, but I'd like to, I'd like to know. I mean, we went into that with you taking the lead and almost like explaining how great it is to me. Kind of like Quantum Leap, although I know I've watched multiple episodes of quantum leap over the years it's just been ages right you know, whereas in you know you took my recommendation of la brea and jumped all over it so true well okay i mean but, but la brea but, is different that's that was a 10 episode season it, it is and you know what that was some decent sci-fi too it was it wasn't badly written 
It was you started to care about the characters. Okay, so all right. on network TV, they probably couldn't have gone as dark as it would be if it was on a streaming service. But I'm fine with that because I don't need to see right. unnecessary gore or or like f bombs dropped every other word. Vulgarity I mean, needs to have fucking impact. Okay, it does. You can't just throw bullshit around and expect people not to bitch about it. Otherwise, you get the ass. You know what I mean? Sheer fucking hubris. Not, not a bad line, to be honest with you. But not well delivered and completely out of left field. I think it would have been better hearing it from, like, Beverly. Maybe. Who had, a, it, who had the ability to tell Picard when he was... To shove it? Actually, you know who probably would have delivered it the best? Is Marina Sirtis. Yeah, he trusted her a lot, and, and he was not I afraid mean, to. All... He was not afraid to get a counseling session from her either. Which you got to you got to give credit where credit's due there. And, and we all saw the no bullshit version of Troy in Nepenthe, and you know that's those small cameos in Lower Deck. The right, Troy. I think that she wanted to be. Well, that's who she is now. Like, I think that's who she <laughs> always is. No, I think that she. I understand what you're saying, and I'm. You're not wrong, but I think she's feeling. You're not wrong. No, uh, but but I think I think there's another layer to it in the sense that she, younger, felt more shackled to to other people's approval. But now, (laughs) shackles are off, and big middle fingers to everyone. She's got icon cachet. Okay. She can actually say what she wants at these conventions, and people will go, Woo! Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Rick Berman! You know, or, uh, you know, like, I mean, I, many people you'll see will lose a little bit of that um, filter when they get older. Yes. Or, I've noticed this. I'm going to make some gross generalizations, and you can tell me if you think I'm off or not. I'll tell you if I think you're gross. Uh, Yes. I feel like men, when they get older and they lose their testosterone, they lose that edge. Like, they they don't want confrontation as much. You should have watched George Carlin's later years. Holy shit. I know, I know. (laughs) There's always exceptions, though. I'm just saying, like, this is an overall trend. I don't think Shatner's avoiding confrontation either. No, but but, you know, a lot of that confrontation can be verbal that a lot of guys just, you know, don't want to deal with and just be quiet, move on and be and be done with it. But women, on the other hand, when they get older, they're like, you, I don't need to kowtow to shit. And, be careful. And, you are you might be crossing the border into things that you probably should not talk about. Well, I'm just saying it's 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 an observation that I see at least from the celebrity specter. Mm. Well, you know, once you've reached so much um, icon status or, you know, money, sometimes there's a period of time where you no longer give a shit. It's, there's no F you money. It's F me money where <laughs> I can literally F myself and I'll still be happy. Like. Yep. So, I mean, but still, I mean, look, look at 
look at Troy in Picard. She, you can obviously tell she still had a great love and respect for Jean-Luc Picard. She should also tell that she wasn't going to listen to his bullshit. She called him out. She called Soji out. I mean, she was, and sometimes being upfront can be a good psychological tactic. Oh, absolutely. She, she was able to advance her character without giving in to, I mean, she wasn't like throwing F-bombs around or shaking cleavage or whatever. She was probably tired of shaking her cleavage around anyway after six years on TNG. I don't think she was. Tired of it or shaking yeah. it around? I don't think she was tired of it. Well, I mean, she did kind of ask them to let her wear a uniform. Did she ask them? I, I, yeah. I'm not familiar with the lore behind it. Well, I mean, it really started with, you know, your man crush Jellico telling her to wear a uniform, and she basically stuck with it for the rest of the season and into the movies. Jellico yeah. was an excellent captain. I'll stand he was by. not an actual captain. He was a bad captain. He was an and excellent talk captain. Talk about this. You I'm might think this he was up. A, no, now you see, now you're getting me wound up that you're wrong. <laughs> it's not one of those you're not wrong, it's you're definitely wrong. He was a bad captain. He actually put his crew in greater danger by fucking with working systems. Okay? Yes, there are ways to make improvements, and occasionally you do need to break things down and build them back up, but you don't do that, and five minutes later, go on a confront go an enemy. War zone. That is not sound. Okay, you're, you're correct, for that, but for that you... alone, it makes him an extremely bad captain. Everything else he does after that, it's already too late. That being said, you're not wrong. That was a dark episode. Yes, absolutely. They dealt with psychological torture, mistreatment of prisoners of war. I mean, this they did all of this before all the fucking Gitmo shit got leaked. Before right. there was even the Gitmo shit to even have. Yeah, before Patrick Gitmo Stewart, was even a prison. Patrick Stewart has been a long supporter of Amnesty International and, and stuff. And that was a harsh episode. Okay? Both parts of it. I mean, the confrontational, the bordering on war kind of thing. Hell, even the in-your-face, I-don't-like-you kind of shit on the Enterprise. You don't really see that. No. No, an interpersonal conflict for the first time. Not for like the first that. time, but generally after Gene really kind of either checked out or died, that's when you saw... He was dead by then. Yeah. Yeah. So, but... Now it's like interpersonal conflict everywhere. Well, okay. So, all right, let's step back. I want to give you my, my thoughts. My thoughts on the state of sci-fi versus the state of entertainment in general. Okay. Okay. I've already given you my opinion on the state of Massachusetts, so we're good. <laughs> and feel free to poke as many holes in it as as you see fit, whether I they're right or wrong. The audience will decide. Um, okay. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you one quick example of what's going on or what happened in Star Trek Picard this season. And that was the Rios immigration situation in season two. Oh, hold on. Let me go ahead and get a can of ham for this one. 
yeah, ham-fisted attempt at at the writer saying uh, com- attempts at controlling immigration are bad, and anyone who does it is an evil person. Right? That was what they said. Well, again, it's filmed in California, so I'm not surprised. Well, do you agree that that's what they said? Basically, yes. And whether or not you agree with stringent immigration laws or not, I mean, it was pretty ham-fisted, okay? It did, it, all it did was it said that. It didn't explain anything else from the side of controlling immigration. Now, pair that to an episode of Deep Space Nine, ah. Sanctuary. Yeah, okay. Where those aliens who are who finally fled their oppressors in the Gamma Quadrant. After, I don't know <laughs> how they did. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it I read the, the synopsis. It was one of yeah. those where they were starting to throw hints of the Dominion into the... It was theory. the first mention of the Dominion, yes. Um, and this, this race of 3,000 people flees into the Alpha Quadrant asking for sanctuary, and there are religious people, like there are religious theocracy, they're a theocracy. And whatever their religion says is their word of law. They feel that Bajor is their destination, their de- their 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 homeland that they lost many many centuries ago. Mm. There's no proof that it ever was proven to be. And the Bajorans are like, well, we could take you, but there's three million of you, and we just got out of a major occupation ourselves where we're still trying to find footing to govern our own people. Never mind intake three million new immigrants that we don't know if we even have food for. And well, then still, there's I, an art. You see in the next season, Shakar, where they're using the uh, Federation, um, uh, what is it, uh, soil reclamators to kind of, because the Cardassians kind of salted the earth when they left. Right, Federation. right had sent in all this equipment to help, like, regenerate the soil and shit. So right. that's even a season later where they're, where the whole point of Shakar was, like, it was promised to this one area, but Wynne, who's acting as first minister as well, is trying to get, get it to a more... Friendly district or something? No, like a, what, uh, an area that could be more economically beneficial, even though it was... Right. Prom- to this area and right. that was the whole point like we were promised we've been waiting for whatever two years now we finally get him and you're trying to take it away for another area and, and so even then that's a two-sided argument right there right think about that that one little argument there you at least heard and saw both sides right. of the situation with the best argument from each side and you were not told what was the correct answer yeah, but you kind of knew because Wynn was on one side and Kira well, was on the other. I know, but you, all right, well, bring, let me bring it back to Sanctuary. So yeah. the Bjorns ultimately say, well, no, I'm sorry. The aliens they, say, they, well, they, we could go to the northwest province here where there's no one there. It's the plains. And we could just field, you know, we can, you know, field our crops there and everything. And the Bajorans are like, no, the the Cardassians destroyed the soil. And they're like, well, you don't, I mean, we are an agrarian species. We know how to farm. We don't need your help. And the Bajorans are like, what if you do? 
What if you do need our help? We don't have the ability to do that. And the millions of your people could starve along with our people. And ultimately, the decision is that they send this this group off to another planet. Only after we see the ma- a massive amount of them on Deep Space Nine and Quark's complaining about them because they're religious and they're not gambling. They're not drinking. They just take space. Uh, you know, there's, there's some increased crime, I believe. I Don't quote you're... me on that one. But at the very least, there are the, the, the station is very dissatisfied with the cramped quarters that suddenly happened. Well, it's also, I think there was also maybe a little bit of Racial tension? Like, oh, absolutely. That's what I'm so trying I to allude that to. That might have been it, like kind of like hate crimes almost or right. harassment. And right. you're right. I mean, it's a very heartbreaking episode when you think about it. Here are people who are trying to survive. They think they found a home, but it's already occupied. Right. But it, it at least told two sides of the story as opposed to Ice Bad, Rios Good. Or anyone like Rios Good. Which, by the way, the way they handled the ice situation, they never would have blasted down the door. They never would have done anything that they did in that show. But Ice Ice Baby. But think about, I mean, that is what that is what the quote-unquote allegory or the quote current political commentary is in star trek it's the writer's idea only and not talking about the overall gestalt of the problem which is a, a complicated situation that has no easy answer none there are but no that was easy never answers complied, my friend. Com- complied. And, and but of course, I, I swear it's just a reflection of our current society where we don't have honest discourse with each other. We have and lots of discord with each other, <laughs> but not discourse. You are absolutely correct. Which is always why, weird to me. Why people are like, oh, well, let's let's talk on the Discord app. It's a talking app called Discord. Nice. Wouldn't it be better if it was called Discourse? It's it's yeah. You're you're absolutely correct. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Logic. The, 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 by the way, the Discord app's pretty cool. I'm, I'm a member of a couple channels. Um, one of which I'm actually promoting our show on. Whatever. But Oh, yeah. in that case, cool. Yeah. So, which brings me to my other Change theory. your name to Discourse. Trust me, it, make, it makes way more sense. Right. Otherwise, you're promoting arguments. <laughs> so, which brings me to my, my other theory. Okay, I showed you, you an example. Discovery. I know. No, 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 no. I, we've already discussed that there are great examples of good sci-fi out there. We've The Expanse for one, SG-1 relatively recently. No, um, no, no. It, it Orville. Or, uh, that's, that's a more accurate one. Stop, stop shoehorning SG-1 in where it doesn't <laughs> belong. SG-1 belongs where Babylon 5 and TNG and DS9 and Voyager. Fine, whatever, it was a product the of the late 90s. You are up. correct. That's fine, fine, fine. I pulled now it out. I pulled it out. With your point. Maybe, but you're right. Um, so, no, but. You're not right. <laughs> the Orville. Um, and I, I mean, what was it? La Brea. La Brea was good. 
what about what about Terra Nova? I I thought there was some uh, good commentary there. I felt that there was good two sided commentary as uh, well. Granted, it's mostly the people who are portrayed as bad guys who want to go and strip mine the world to save the or to like, you know, I don't know. I think it was probably to make money for the future, you know. But you know, there there is some thought with okay, our world is dying. What are we going to do? Just sit on our sit right. on our asses and let people die, or can we're we going to punish resources? this family for having two two children instead of one, or three children, three children, two. yeah, three still three children instead of two. Okay, so I mean that being said, I think it was a little bit of a tipping point. I think it was mostly. I think it was three quarters one sided, although when you learn about Mira, who is the leader of the Sixers. Which I haven't gotten that far, but yeah. Basically what it boils down to is she's a pawn of the the corporation or whatever in the future that is trying to strip mine the past. And basically, the main reason why she's doing it is because I think she might have gotten in trouble with the law, and she's got a kid that she wants to see, and they're promising that she'll see her. So she's got some conflicted motiva- motivations. So Yeah, yeah. When you give nuance even to your quote-unquote villains, or at least antagonists, that helps. It creates I mean, but, a gray factor. Who was who was the main villain of Discovery season two? I don't know, Lorca, the Klingons. Oh, that I was mean, season one. Oh, season, season two. Two was uh, Control, an control. evil, mindless uh, computer program, right? Yeah, AI. It, it was the Cylons. It was the Matrix. It was. Kind of stuff we did before. It was kind of like right. the Matrix again. Um, but there was no like real like. There was no real personality. Well, it was like that. It was in many ways. It was like the Terminator. You know, it was like our yeah. or the Cylons, like our own creation turns on us, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not particularly original. Um, now, but, I know. I know it's. And you're right. Those are those are some feasible observations, which brings me to what I'm about to say. I have this I have this ongoing saying, like, if you're a work, if you're an out of work actor, Mm -hmm. find another job because there's no reason to be out of work as an actor nowadays, because there are so many shows and so many movies being made. The streaming options alone Never mind the regular studio system and the and the old networks. I mean, all of it. I mean, there's web hundredfold more opportunities to be an actor than there ever was even ten years ago. And please, now, more real actors than fucking these internet and social media celebrities. Oh, I know. Fuck. I know. I know. But uh, when you have more shows. What do you need? More writers. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of a decrease, a devolution in the quality of writing 
because well, the yeah. number of quality writers has We're not gone living. up. <laughs> it's just the number of writers have gone up in, in Hollywood or the entertainment business. Well, and again, some of them are just rehashes. That's part of the problem. If you oh, can yeah. tell a familiar story a different way, and of course, that's what people claim that some that all of these reboots are doing. We're going to tell the the familiar story of Star of we're going to tell the story of Episode Four, but we're going to do it differently in Episode Seven. <laughs> no, no, you really didn't. You told it for the most part the same way. Right, and I got duped. I got duped, and we talked about this. I mean, I walked out of Episode Seven going, "That was great." And then I thought about it. And then I'm like, hey, remember when they did the trench run to blow up the big? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Okay, well, remember when Han and Chewie go to rescue the. Oh, yeah. With the young kid. Oh, yeah. Remember how they met a, uh, you know, a wise old person? Oh, but they didn't die. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) There's, There's something new. Yeah. But your brain knew it. Your brain knew it after you thought about it for a minute. And that's the thing. I, I mean, there is good sci-fi out there, but I don't think that there's... I don't think that the the the, the studios are willing to drop enough money on quality writers to be able to provide a good product. They just want enough of the product out there so that forces us to keep streaming... Or, or subscribing to their streaming service, which is not going to work in the long run. It's not because there's too much streaming out there. Well, that's why things get canceled all the time. I mean, even shows that have decent writing now get canned left and right. Netflix is it's it's in some ways it's becoming like Fox. It's just like oh, this was a show. Okay, there you yeah. go. Netflix yeah. is chopping things down like a fucking lumberjack. I you know what they are? Jack and I am okay. They're a lot like the BBC. Because the BBC would greenlight a show for like six episodes and maybe greenlight a second series, quote unquote, of that show for another four episodes. But that's it. And that show would go down in history as one of the biggest shows out there. Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers. Com- comedy Gold. It's like 12 mm-hmm. episodes over two seasons. Yes, exactly. That's what the BBC did. Netflix is copying that log algorithm. I don't think they meant to. That's just what the numbers tell them. Well, I mean, look, we've... We just finished season four of Discovery. And what have, what do have we got? Like 50 episodes? Well, yeah, and... But Again, we got we got that in two seasons of TNG. We did more than more than fifty episodes in two seasons, and one of those was a clip show. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them were bad. But, yes. were... but uh, what what can I say? I mean, I just uh, reducing the number of episodes to have to write is a step towards the right direction. So you don't have to have those filler episodes where they're like, hmm. But it also, we're going in a direction that I just, I don't like. And there's more bad writers out there that are getting work than they ever should. 
here here's part of the problem too though i think is you have you have shows right and it's all long form storytelling and you know what occasionally episodic and bottle shows now if you throw a bottle show in the middle of a, a 10 episode season it stands out kind of like a sore thumb you really have to nail it for it to work you do it in the middle of you know do a couple in the middle of a 20 to 25 episode season especially if you're not doing huge story arcs right and it fine. works fine i mean there's there's a reason why sitcoms most of the time still do fairly well is because there's times where people just want a little mindlessness or a little bit of episodic shit. Yeah, I mean, now everything, there, there might be a subplot in the season, but, you know, Babylon 5 did that over with 20-episode season and a subplot to the entire season. Right. Or the series. Right. Deep Space no. Nine did that. I mean, year year one was kind of the, the conflict you know, the post-conflict and, like, the Federation trying to get comfortable. And then you saw a lot of Bajoran politics in season one, season two of of Deep Space Nine. And then you had the Maquis arc in there that kind of branched. And then everything starts bleeding into this Dominion arc, which kind of took, the like, the last five seasons of the show, where bits and pieces of it, I mean, there were... Yeah, you're not wrong. And yeah. then, like, season four was kind of, you know, they threw in the whole Klingon, you know, Klingon thing, which gave it some spice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's hard to argue with, you know, it, you can do it effectively. If you watched half the seasons of NCIS, they had, like, a antagonist or something that they were gunning for through most of the season. Even Even CSI. A show that was completely episodic had the miniature killer that that eluded the police department in Las Vegas and 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 was a thorn in their side over the course of several seasons. Right. Or if you look at. um, Shit, I just had it. Oh, it was another cop show, I think. And I just blanked. But, you know, when you have these. Oh, uh, the Arrowverse. That's not, not a cop show, but most of those <laughs> like have one major recurring villain that they're working towards a final confrontation. Like the first few episodes are like, who's behind this? And then it's like a cat and mouse game for yeah, not all the time. Sometimes you know, like some of the earlier Other things seasons come up of in the, the middle. Shows, yeah, but some of the earlier seasons of shows maybe hinted that something was going on, but it was it looked kind of episodic. I mean. You can do it successfully if you put together a plan. And yeah, you can get away with being dark. If you watch the early seasons of Game of Thrones, I mean, yeah, it was based on books, so there was a lot of shit already written, but the (laughs) violence at times was... Actually, they probably reduced the violence for the show quite a bit. There was a lot of horrific things in the books, too, but I mean, war... Medieval warfare is not pretty. Oh, no. The Battle of the Bastards showed a very... It was very poignant in showing that realism right there. Yeah, it's terrible, man. I I saw that, and I started hyperventilating, because I'm like, oh, my God. Like, 
<laughs> but that was well done. And that was one of the last of the really well done things in Game of Thrones. It really was, you know. Uh, but and and that's where I stopped. That's why I stopped. I'm like, but then <laughs> then as soon as they started venturing out on their own, they couldn't figure out what how to write this, you know, and. So it was a bunch of writers standing on the shoulder of a really good writer that that you know they could use his ideas and and they could make that happen. They had enough imagination for that. But when they started to venture out on their own, they're like, "Oh crap, we have to write something." Like, <laughs> so, and that's that's the problem with what we have today. A lot of writers can't do that. And there's probably too much entertainment out there. And well, the, the, there's, there's always a new show. There's always some property that they're trying to either reboot or they're trying to, uh, you know, convert from, say, a book or video game or something like that. You know what right. I mean? It's It's not... It's not working on it. You know what I mean? No, and reboot all you want. But if it's not done with a quality writing base, then it's never going to work, no matter how familiar the, the, the name is. Battlestar Galactica, the funny part was, they got James Almos because... Edward James Edward Almos. James Almos yeah. Sorry, yeah. They got Edward James Almos because they didn't give him the title page. He had no idea it was Battlestar Galactica when he read the first script. And then he read it, and he's like, this is awesome, sign me up. And then he found out it was the Battlestar Galactica reboot. He's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll still, I'm still in. And that's a great example of a show that was really cheesy and lasted, what, one season, maybe two? I think they did one season, and they had, like, a spinoff. Uh, they had a movie or something, and then they had Galactica 1980. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. But something that still sat in the zeitgeist because it was so cheesy. And then the good writing of the reboot had it last four quality seasons. Quality seasons, by the way. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I am not disagreeing. I mean, Battlestar, it was completely different. I mean, I think they changed, you know, I mean, they made it more, I guess, if you take the space and the Cylon thing out, they kind of made it a more realistic, you know? I mean, was it like cheesy aliens and stuff? They, but and they I mean, still. with aliens. They didn't huh? really. They, they didn't, didn't deal, deal with, with any aliens. aliens but no. I think the original show did. Yeah. But, and then there was the one episode when they rigged the election. Because they don't want Baltar to be elected. And the audience doesn't want Baltar to be elected. and But you're siding with something bad. Because you don't want Baltar elected. Mm. And that's good That's good writing right there. Well, it was like what we discussed in the uh, some of the early episodes. Like the Afghanistan episode and stuff. Where they have the guy who like blows himself and the collaborators up. Mm -hmm. You know? Was trying to kill Baltar. Right. But, you know? I mean... We're looking at him from our point of view, and you know he's like an ally of the protagonist, and we're like, oh well, that guy's a hero. He's trying to stop the bad guys. Right. But then 
you know, I'm in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I don't want those dudes doing the same thing to me. So no. it's completely different. Exactly. But that's good writing. It is. When you can make something very detestable in many ways, you can either identify with it or understand it or enjoy watching it like Kira. She said she was a terrorist. She did terrorist things. You know? And we never even saw the half of her. She was almost going to kill her mother. She almost killed her mother for being a quote-unquote collaborator with Ducat. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, look, look, and folks, we know that we're big fans of these older shows, but we grew up watching it. I am trying very hard to, you know, take things at face value with a lot of these shows. And I watch Discovery and Picard religiously when they come out. Have I found more things to love in Picard? Yes, but that's mostly because it's more familiar. Seven of Nine, Jean-Luc Picard, you know, all the cameos or or, uh, guest roles by actors playing roles that I enjoyed before. Sure. Is it darker? Yeah, I think so. Does it make it better? Sometimes. I mean, if we look at Ballastar, it was definitely the right thing. Yeah, but... But... (laughs) Does being darker necessarily make it better? And I refer you to Nemesis. Well, I mean, Nemesis wasn't even as dark as First Contact, in my opinion. No, but Nemesis wasn't good. Yeah, it it wasn't terrible, though. You know? It was the first Star Trek movie I walked out of going, I'll give it two and a half out of four stars. I wanted it to be a lot better. And I couldn't because it was a remake of Wrath of Khan and Star Trek six. And, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, like I was, I was disappointed. Well, and they shrouded it in darkness, as opposed to the other ones. Then should it have been called Star Trek Into Darkness? Into Darkness, uh, the worst Star Trek film on, on in history. That was a straight-up rehash of Wrath of Khan. At least they did some different shit with Nemesis. <sighs> you're, you're, well, yes. I mean, the, the Remans, but... you know, the Reman overthrow of the Romulans, I... There was some decent intrigue there. I mean, there are elements that were very fascinating, but it just—I I didn't like the Jean-Luc Picard clone. They're really, I mean, make Shinzon a Romulan and just be done. I think it was, yeah. I mean, it was felt a little shoehorned. I didn't hate Rom- it, but I didn't love it. No, and the Romulan. Tom Hardy were... is a great fucking actor. Oh, absolutely. But, of course, this was one of his first roles. Right, and it it nearly killed him. Yeah, nearly drove him out of acting, definitely. And, yeah, I mean, he... he, Yeah, I mean, you feel bad because Star Trek is a franchise that has given so much to so many, both actors and people. But then, like him and, like, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who played a Zindi in 
Enterprise both almost quit acting because of the, the rough times they had on Star Trek. So you feel bad. Did he play the Arboreal? No, he played one of the Reptilians. That was in that episode Carpenter Street when they go back to 2004. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You wouldn't even know it was him if you fucking. No, you wouldn't. That I mean, that's the kicker. But so I, I, I feel like if I talk anymore, I'm going to be repetitive. I thought you said you wanted to be grouchy. Crouchy, even. Crouchy, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I mean, Dr. Fauci's cousin. So tell me this. What darker sci-fi, and we'll exclude Battlestar, have you watched in, say, the last 10 years that you have enjoyed? That you felt had good writing, good character development, a good Well, The story. Expanse is dark, and I saw, like, Did... the first 10 episodes, uh, sorry, 10 minutes of the first episode, which okay, is not a fair count, answer. No, that doesn't count. It's not a fair answer, but no. I'm telling you, The Expanse is dark, and it's critically acclaimed, and fans like it. Yeah, but it's also not like a rehash of something else, too, so. So you want a rehash of something that was told no. in a darker way. I'm just saying something dark. I don't know. I, I mean, shoot. Uh, uh I can't think of anything that was really dark in the sci-fi realm that I enjoyed, but or that I can even remember. Do you have anything top of mind? Maybe I can. Maybe I can be jogged. Well, I mean, start discovery. No, not a reboot or either. Just another series, but. It uh, it might as well have been a reboot. It's not. It's not. But with what they did to the canon, which we talked about, it might as well have been a reboot. But yes. Yeah, and I did not it, enjoy it, it felt like that. And of course, you also have, you know, questions on how much, you know, has, you know, Picard done things to the canon. And maybe they have, maybe they haven't. But you know what? I know they're trying. They're both trying. They're, they're, again, they're trying with writers who aren't good. Like, they, they'll throw in... I mean, here's the thing. And you brought this up. You, you did bring this up. Your question was, do your rose-colored glasses for the past... And maybe I misinterpret this. Please stop me if I'm wrong. I'm, you know I'm more than willing to admit I'm wrong. Do your rose-colored glasses of the past influence what you're thinking of these shows now? Well, are you going to answer that? Yes. Now, and, and we talked about it with episode seven. I walked out of episode seven loving it because they had great references to the past. And the first episode of Picard, and there were elements of the first episode of season two of Picard. I'm like, okay. But season two, I was more cautious as documented. Because they threw out a whole lot of references to Star Trek. And, so and, say we all. In the old days. But that was all they were. It was just a bunch of references. And it wasn't an, it wasn't an execution of, of good storytelling. It was 
You remember this? You remember this? And I'm not going to use the term that you hate, but you remember this? This happened. You remember this? This was here. Did you ever see Chris Farley? Uh, like the Chris Farley show on Saturday Night Live? Hey, yeah. you remember whatever you were in? That, that was, was awesome. awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, that's what they're doing. It kind of feels a little bit like that. It, it really is. And so I ha- I, when I watch these things now, I'm on guard for that. And while it makes me feel good to see maybe some references of that, I also have to step back and tell myself that does not a good story make. It does not, no. But they're trying to do this to try to, like, validate what they're doing, in a sense, which is a deconstruction. And I hate that term because I, I don't – but they are they are tearing into this very character – and seeing what makes him tick, in a sense, of, of Picard, and and they're while they're doing that, they're they're throwing out. Remember this. Remember this. Remember this. This is all here. This means this is real Star Trek right here because it wouldn't be here if it wasn't. You know, I I do think at times it can be a little heavy-handed now, especially since they've taken so much of a beating over the last few years with. People going, it's like you didn't watch anything for the last 40 years. What the fuck are you doing? Right, right. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're getting Strange New Worlds. I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen some drastic changes in Picard Season 2. And I think that maybe that's one of the reasons why they shot Discovery into the 32nd century or whatever well, the fuck it is. Well, that's explicitly why they shot Discovery into the 31st century or the 30th century or whatever. 900 years into the future, something like that. Yeah. Um, from the 23rd century. So what, 30, 30, 30 31st? Century? Is it 31st? 22? I believe so. 23rd century? 23rd? Oh, it's the, it's, it's the 32nd. Yeah, that's right. 32nd century. 3100s or whatever. Math is hard. But this is the power of math, people. <laughs> Just... So, yes, absolutely. That's I mean, that's why Discovery had the softcore reboot. But it, just because they had the reboot doesn't necessarily make it better. It's a little it's better. Cheap. I mean, generally, it's a little better. Every season, it gets a little better. Um, but they still don't know science. At least the writers knew science in some circumstances. Well, you know, they actually had a habit of going over to, like, Caltech or something and asking for some shit. That's what they yeah. did. The writers knew their limitations, and they got they, they went for where they knew they could get it. This is not that. Like, and I, I in the season four, episode one of Discovery... I laid into those butterfly people. Like, first of all, how could they possibly evolve and then require this antenna to allow them to navigate? So they had to build this antenna, and then they realized that they had this ability to fly because of this antenna. Yeah, that's, that's kind of ass-backwards. Right? Uh, but that's what gets caught. That's what gets caught in me, in my head. Same, same thing with, all right. One more thing. Iron Man 2. Mm. Tony Stark is dying of, of blood poisoning, basically. Yes. 
and he has to create a whole new element in order to control uh, to to power his uh, uh, reactor, right? The arc reactor, and he creates it, and then he picks it up, and I'm like, he's dead. He's dead because it's at least element like 121, and anything over element 83 is radioactive. And that, and that's the fun part, uh, because you know that that was one of the things that kind of drove, you know, that people kind of was like one of those things were like, yeah, Iron Man Two is great, and then you walk him back, it's like, well, was it really? I mean, it still had great elements, and it was still, it, I mean, it was setting up the Avengers a lot. I'll, I'll appreciate it for what it was because it's still an enjoyable movie, but it's those things. Those things that these writers who try to write science just don't get. They just don't. And and, and also treating science like a religion is apocryphal. Because <laughs> it is not a religion. It is a methodology. But I mean, remember that big debate that Keiko and Kira had on Deep Space Nine? Science nope. versus... No, but please remind me, because I bet it was a really good debate. Well, I have brought it up in previous episodes, but you know what? Shog my memory. <laughs> yeah. With a baseball bat. You, so that's not I the think first, was, I think not the first the, urge you've had, let's be honest. I think it was towards the end of the first season, Keiko was trying to set up this you know, school, school. On, on Deep Space Nine, and she is... Basically, I think she's saying, calling the, the prophets the wormhole aliens. And Wynn gets all up in arms and protesting over the, you know, hey, you're, you know, and basically it, it becomes like people taking, uh, you know, like Bajorans are starting to take their kids out of the school because they're teaching. This is good writing. That, that go against their religion, and then mm-hmm. you have like I think Keiko came went to the went to Cisco to complain or to argue his point, her point, and you know Kira's in there, and she kind of makes some of the argument to Keiko, and Keiko's like, I'm just trying to teach pure science, you know, there's no I'm not teaching a religion, you know, I'm just trying to teach pure science, and Kira kind of looks at her and she's like. To some people, you know, science is a religion. You know, it's just like, I'm, you know, it's like the Vulcan relentless pursuit of not, of uh, logic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. It's a good debate. Because it it's is. true. These aliens had godlike powers. And right. there is one way to look at them as aliens. Other ways to look at them as gods. Like. They could be one in the same, but how do you classify that in a, in a multi-species scenario? Logic is only the beginning of wisdom, Valeris. Boom. Boom. I mean, that's good writing. Boom. That's good writing right there. But you will have some decent elements of good writing, like can't remember the name of the episode, but it's where 
they, Pike and the Discovery go to Borath to get the Klingon time crystal so he can, hmm. I think it was to, to, basically, I think to enable them to like go to the future or something like that. Um, but basically, but one of the things that he learned, Pike learns on Borath is, and he sees the vision of himself becoming horrifically disfigured and losing all of his mobility and losing basically everything in his life. And by the way, Anson Mount was so great acting that the, the, the absolute terror and horror on his face. Yep. I, I still remember that face, it was, yeah. That was dark, too. I mean, when you think about it, being face-to-face with, you know, your own mortality. I mean, essentially the, your death. Right, basically. And he, you know, he's like, look, if, you know, you can do this. And there's still possibility for your future to change. Or you can like grab one of these crystals and do this and your fate is sealed forever. And despite knowing this horrible thing that's going to happen in life, he had to, he had the character to, to put his own personal feelings aside and, you know, save the MacGuffin from the ex-deuce machina. And uh, what he so. did was he made a, drastic sacrifice in the process of himself exactly he sacrificed himself that is a good nugget that That is is, that was good writing too i wish it was more exemplified throughout the series but he Mm -hmm. i mean but you're right he had that amazing moment discovery thus far in my opinion that best part oh absolutely Uh, so they did a really good job with that one so you know, uh, even I told Data's, you my wife. What's that? I told you my wife had a crush on Jeffrey Hunter when she first saw him, right? I did. You did mention that. <laughs> I, and I remember because I recently listened to the captain's episode. Yeah. Part yeah. of my uh, prep for last week. And it, yes, apparently you have a man crush on Jeffrey Hunter, too. Yeah, he was a fetching man. Uh, yes, I, I guess he was. Uh, but, I, I interrupted you. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, I, season finale of Picard, where Data actually gets a farewell. I found that to be nice. Fairly well acted, decently written, where Data actually really kind of gets to choose and almost to grow die. to a human point. And of course, he did that in Nemesis, too. Um, but but you, you know, you see him, like, much like Pike, resign himself to his fate. And when you see him ask his captain, his mentor, his friend, ask him to please let me end, which I think in one of the ways, like something he talked about in Time's Arrow is like, you know, it's almost nice knowing that, like, you find my head here is like, I guess I will die. Yeah. He was kind of seeing that as like a, an almost a human thing. 
So. Yeah, no, Data was definitely asking Picard the same thing I wanted. Let me die. <laughs> That's a joke. It's a joke. You can laugh. But it's a joke, but it wasn't that great, man. Your timing was <laughs> off. Comedy is very much about timing. Yes. Well, and delivery. I've never I've never pretended to be a comedian. So truer words were never spoken, my friend. How much more do you have <laughs> in you? Because uh, yeah. I mean, we could bitch, but I think we've made our point. I That's mean, what I was thinking. There's, uh, there. I, I don't know. I don't know if we ever came to a conclusion. No, and a lot of times we don't. There's no easy answers in life, my friend. Well, that's exactly, yeah, it, right? But, and and the writing, the writing has tried to show easy answers, and it loses its when effectivity they because when they of it. Show those harsh realities of life with the nuance and with the with some of the up opposite side being shown. I mean, it was like if when you watch Black Panther and you realize was Killmonger wrong in his Ugh. opinions at times? Oh. You know, like it, it yeah. was, his execution might have been let's horrible. just say more death is not is not correct but your feelings are quite justified oh yeah <laughs> it's like great villains oh, dang. <laughs> make you believe in them too right right so that's a good quote great humans make you believe in them too Quick thing, something's occurred to me as I've watched Picard this season. I haven't watched the last two episodes, just FYI. I'm I not worried of, about spoilers, don't no, worry No, I kind of got this vibe early in the season with some of Q's interactions. My theory, Q is dying. <sighs> he could be. I just, and... and and that would be something. I just don't know why Q is manipulating the timeline the way he is. It doesn't make sense because this is supposed to be a test on Picard and he changes up the timeline for what? what is why, it, why test him? Well, that's what he does. Uh, but He but, tests Picard, he annoys Cisco, and he harasses Janeway. This is what we do. I, I know that. Well, I mean, you wait until the end, though. And if this doesn't pay off, if this fucking test doesn't pay off, I'm going to be sitting here with a whole big cake that says, told you so. I'm just floating a theory right now. <laughs> I'm hoping it pays off, but, you know. Payoff has been a little rough with Star Trek lately. Mm-hmm. Lower I'll be Dex more than happy to eat a cake that says crow on payoff it. yet. They really have. Wait, what? I'm sorry. I, I lower than you were being a dick. I said lower decks was has actually had some of the best payoffs of New Trek. No, I mean, just look at the Packlet storyline, which basically started the previous season. Yeah, 
and then they would pop up periodically and then there was some issues and then all of a sudden are the Klingons involved or is it just this Klingon involved with the pack lens and then what the fuck is going on and there's something going on I mean Freeman's being framed that's weird but I mean there's there's well, I mean, they had a great rescue, which is kind of a payoff. Uh, but, I mean, they just did the transporter clone thing again to get Boimler back on the Cerritos. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, but it was it was just funny. Um, yeah. That being said, uh, you know, they've had some decent payoffs, and you can have good payoff. La Brea had some, has had some decent payoff. Yeah, no, it has. I still haven't watched the last episode. I decided to watch it. I decided to watch the Tholian web the last time. Uh, And by the way, that Uh didn't make sense. It was 1967. Well, they never never explained why the Defiant was phasing in and out of the reality. It just was. Like, there was no event horizon. There was no anomaly. It was just the ship was the anomaly. That's actually, they they actually went into um, the Tholian sewage dump. That's why it was green and glowing. Yeah, there we are. Oh, my God. On that Cri- note, everyone. On that note, instead of being. <laughs> what, were, what, were the, what were your words the other day? Uh, Big giant dump, or what, what was it? Uh, I brought it up, and I can't even get the payoff. That's my life, everybody. That's I have PS3K. You guys keep dreaming. We'll keep working. I'll just exist. So long, everyone. I'm out. I'm out. Sometimes you just bother me. I'm out. I'm DT Catman. We'll see you on the high ground. If he still exists. I won't. <laughs> Those Sci-Fi Guys is an independent broadcast by Site Productions, produced by DT Cavman and P.S. McKay. Music courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow P.S. McKay on Twitter at P.S. McKay, or go to ThoseSciFiGuys.com for past episode information. <laughs>